Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Mentor Musings. I'm joined by JC and Brett. Hi, gentlemen. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, Dennis, good morning. Excellent. Uh, so this is uh, part two of our three-part series. In the first part, we talked about uh, you're an entrepreneur, you have multiple ideas, and you finally kind of like drilled down on a single thing that you want to go into business with. Uh, the next part is go-to-market strategy. Now, JC and Brett, they're going to go over their ideas and things that you should be doing when you go to market. So gentlemen, start off. Yeah, I guess I'll fire away, JC. I'll let you bring it up. Um, it's, a, it's a great question. There's, I don't think there's a, a single best approach, but the way I've seen the most success is if, hey, you're into business, you've got to go get those first customers, right? It's the founder, the owner, the idea person. Success comes from you being able to sell successfully into your network, right? I mean, to, to, that is the quickest path, right? If somebody knows you, knows what you're selling, that's going to be the easiest because you just want to create some momentum. You want to get feedback on the product or the service. Are people going to buy this? Why you thought they were going to buy this? Get the revenue. And I think, and JC, you love your perspective. You know, part of the early days, some of the biggest value comes from the feedback from those early customers and what's working, what's not working. Again, you went in with the premise of, hey, this is the problem I'm going to solve. I've actually got people using my product or service. You know, is it working? I think too often we rush to hire salespeople or sales teams. And it really in the early days, you're just trying to create momentum and get a much better understanding of what the product is, hopefully pay the bills, right? Get to break even as quickly as possible. And then, you know, after JCL, let you kind of follow on to that because then we can talk about, all right, once we've got some of that validation and the early momentum, then what do we do to scale it? That's a different conversation, but I don't want to go down that path until you know, I get your perspective. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I listen, short answer. I completely agree with Brett. So you've made the decision to move forward. There's a million items and punch list points to go over, right? You've got product development and technology. You've got, you know, developing your service infrastructure. You've got pricing. Maybe you've got fundraising, but all of those must remain secondary to the primary focus, right? That pretty much everybody who's going to take that first step you need to own and take a step towards sales, business development, and, and actually taking this to your potential customers. It's such a critical step because you are still very much in the self-validation stage. Even though you've made this decision to move forward, you know, and like we were talking about in the last episode, this is, a, this is an opportunity cost. This is an investment by you. You need to continue to not be skeptical of your decision, but look for validation in that decision. And you can seek validation from a lot of people, but ultimately the validation you should listen to most are the people who are going to pay you, right? So who your buyers are, who 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 your actual customers are in this case. And, and by the way, this is true for both B2B and B2C. Um, so it's not just, I mean, obviously, you know, Brett, with your extensive background of B2B sales, um, I, I think this is especially true, but it's also true in the direct-to-consumer space. You know, I work with a lot of direct-to-consumer technology startups and they tend to want to focus on building out their product first, which I get. And as a technologist, you know, is, is fun and is interesting, but Truly on the strategic side, before you start putting exhaustive amounts of effort and your founder focus on the product, you've got to put at least an equal amount of that same focus, effort, and resource into developing your go-to-market strategy, into interviewing those first potential customers, into really understanding what parts of what you're offering are truly valuable um, and what parts are you just assuming will be valuable. And you might be surprised uh, based on the feedback that you get that there are 
things that you thought would be a priority that aren't even on the person's or the, tar- the target's radar. Um, and then there will be things that you thought weren't a priority that actually, you know, should be included. So, you know, let them help you dictate, you know, kind of the next sequence of decisions, whether it's product development, you know, developing your customer service plan, whatever that is, don't do that in a vacuum. Start with business development and sales and learn so that you can apply those to the next stages after. Yeah, it's so good and so true, right? If you don't, if you can't get that early sales, <laughs> but this might be a good quick transition into you know, kind of what's next, because I think beyond getting that, the, the product market fit or problem market fit and customers giving you the feedback of why they're buying, it's how do I get to that next step, right? How do I go from a half a million to 2 million to 10 million? You know, and again, that's why I choose to focus on zero to 10, because it's the hardest part to get through. Once you get to 10, there's a set of challenges and problems, but it opens up the world to you. You've, you've gotten through the major milestone of actually getting beyond that, that million dollars. And I think that's where it goes, where I kind of referenced in the last episode is, you know, the three pieces, get known, get interest, get leads, right? The, the problem with a lot of the founders when they're starting to try to scale and gain that much bigger momentum is they try to muscle their way through or do it through conversations. And, you know, as much as I've was the old school, right? I, I, the power of digital is here, man. You have to get known in that universe. Now, if you are able to get known, if you're not known, getting interest is going to be twice as hard and getting sales is almost impossible. So you're going to have to start spending that time, whether it's you as the founder out on the podcast circuit or you know, in articles, blogs, content is, is so important. I've come, you know, 180 on this just in the last three years of how critical it is to be able to get and tell your story to get to the known aspect. You just can't go straight from, hey, I've got a half a million in revenue. We got 12 customers. Now I'm going to go do paid Facebook ads or Google. It, it, it just doesn't work that way. In B2B specifically, I'm talking about is this is now where you've got to get that process and build a machine that can get and reach audiences that you cannot do one-on-one. You just can't. I mean, that's the biggest stumbling block I've seen with companies that haven't been able to get to the next level. They just didn't get known by enough people in order to generate enough revenue to keep, keep the growth machine going. So sorry, I rambled a bit on that one, but it's important. It is. I mean, because obviously we're talking about a sequence of events here. You know, the last episode we talked about making that decision or not making that decision to move forward. Now we're talking about, all right, I've walked through the door. What am I doing first? But, you know, at some point we want to be thinking about exactly what Brett's talking about, which is okay. Well, taking those first two steps, by the way, relatively frictionless. I mean, it's kind of ultimately up to you whether to do those things, whether to move forward and then to start to engage your initial potential customers. But there's another point where exigent factors are going to start really holding you back from being able to make that progress. And that's what Brett's talking about right now and how in those earlier stages, if you can focus on getting known or building your thought leadership and your personal and your, your company brand around this, you're, you're probably not solving for problems you're facing that day, but you are helping solve for future problems. Um, and, and that's a really big thing, I, I would say, as a takeaway. A lot of founders, they tend to focus on the immediacy of now, like what, what, what fire do I have to put out right now? What thing must be addressed right now? But you need to be addressing the things now with the things that you need to address in the future in mind. Because if you don't do what's Brett, what Brett's talking about, all you're doing is delaying struggle and potentially delaying failure. You know, let's say we knew for certain that getting known and building that thought leadership was going to be something that you would struggle with or something that let's just say was impossible for, for some unknown reason. Well, what is, what is the point to... 
what is the point to, uh, sorry, that's my dog. What is the point to pursuing, uh, pursuing that, uh, that pathway if you know that you're going to fail at that point? So, you know, again, Brett, as always, great takeaway there. Not only take these first steps executing with the immediate in mind, but start thinking about some of those future challenges and opportunities uh, as well. Yeah, and it's not even future challenges. I mean, uh, the stat in B2B, I just didn't, you know, again, how accurate I'm guessing we can give three or 4%, but at any given point, right, 3% of your ideal target market is in buy now mode, meaning, hey, they've, they've identified a problem, they have budget, and they're looking to solve this problem today. So 3%, right? So you think about that. That's why you have to get known early, provide that value early. So you're there when those future customers are ready to make purchases, right? You just can't build a strategy of going to find the 3%, the needle in the haystack. I'm going to go get you know six outbound sales reps and find that 3%. It's just highly expensive and highly inefficient. And it, it just doesn't work anymore. So I, again, that's why I like to lay the groundwork, man. If you get some early success, you got to start thinking about how do I start reaching more people? So when I am ready to, to scale, right, people know us because you just can't turn on the, the faucet and say, all right, world here, we're here, come come buy from us. B2B just doesn't work like that. In the old days, I'd say you could get a, you could do that by just pure muscling it and effort. But you know, the buyers are in control of the process and the decision-making and the research, and they're going to buy on their terms when they're ready. So the more people that know you, the better chance you have of converting. So this is going to lead us into part three in our next episode. And uh, we're going to drill down a little bit more on how you can sell your business to B2B or B2C. And Jason and Brett are going to be able to give you some insight, and they're going to give you some ways to be able to do this. So thank you for joining us. Thank you, JC. Thank you, Brett. Follow us on some, uh, all social media, uh, YouTube, Twitter, so on and so forth. You can listen to all our episodes on all podcast streaming services. So if you like what you heard, please share, subscribe, send to your friends. If you want to jump into this, let us know. Thank you, everyone. And we hope to see you in the next one. All right. Thanks, guys. <laughs>